You are listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Dr. Batar, I just returned from a really cool place. A weekend with the IAOMT. And it's like one of those places where you can talk mercury and fluoride. Nobody blinks an eye at you and they go, they're all on board. I mean, it's like a, a microcosm of what we talk about all of the time. But a group of people that are really committed to trying to help folks detoxify from mercury and recognize all of the dangers of it and other things within not only the dental profession, but environmentally. Yeah, IMT is a great organization, primarily composed of uh, dentists, but they've got about 10% of their membership that are non-dentists, and I gave a lecture out there probably about eight, nine years ago now. Yeah, I met I met different, most of them were dentists, but not all, but there were some DOs and MDs, and uh, it was just the openness, the, they're already on board in this realm, and, and then there were a lot of uh, new folks that, that had gotten wind of it and were trying to figure out what to do, how to plug into all of this, and it's heartening to see that there are groups of health professionals that, that do get it, although it's still the smallest percentage out there, but it was a refreshing thing, and a lot of your friends were there. I saw Boyd Haley. He says hello. I didn't know you knew uh, Mar- was Marcelo uh, Vega. Dr. Yeah, Victor, Victor Marcia Vega. Yeah, nice, Victor Marcia nice guy. Vega. Very nice guy. I got David very, very Kennedy, and uh, it was a terrific weekend. Really, I've got some great interviews I'm going to be airing this week from that that event. Yeah, Victor and I go back uh, 15 years or more. He's a very, very close friend. Actually, uh, that's wrong. It's uh, 20, 21 years Victor and I go back. So he's a very close friend. In fact, many years um, on on New Year's Eve, uh, I'd get a call. And it would always leave Victor wishing me a happy new year. So nice, and he's got a great vision. Again, I got a great, great interview with him coming up this week. But he's a visionary too. He really sees in a very positive way, uh, you know, uh, hospitals that that encompass and incorporate all holistic medicine as well. You know, that integrate things appropriately. And I, I could see, you know, he's just a man of vision. Is the best way I can say it. Yeah, you know, he's a radiation oncologist by training, right? Yeah, I know. It's isn't that bizarre of all the things yeah, he's yeah. trained in. He, yeah, he actually um, trained in radiation oncology. He's from Mount. He did his training in Mountcroft, which is um, one of the graduate divisions from Washington University, which is where that's my alma mater. And uh, he actually had invited his father is a Harvard trained radiation oncologist, and his father had invited me, or he got me invited to the American Cancer Society, the sixth annual, I think fifth or sixth annual. American Cancer Society presentation or conference that was held in Puerto Rico a number of years ago, uh, probably about 10 years ago. And um, I gave a lecture out there, and I was the only non-conventional guy. And uh, But, yeah, Victor and I go way, way back. Victor's got a really interesting history, too. So, But I, if, if you told him that you that you knew me, he would have you would have had an instantaneous, like, uh, you know, they would have been like that secret code type thing because, 
Yes, when, yes. When we get together, things kind of get a little stupid. So. Oh, good. Well, he's one of the good guys. I could tell the energy was there. He would fit right in. So that's good confirmation. Uh, so I'm looking forward to airing that later in the week. You know, he uses the echo water, the molecular hydrogen that my buddy Paul has. He's He uses the silver, the Argentin 23. I mean, he's got a lot of things that, you know, we're all connected with that he's seen clinical success with. And he's not, you know, in, in terms of oncologists, you meet them and they're dour and toxic. This guy was bright and clear and clean. And it was like you would never guess that that was his training. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's uh, very much like us. He doesn't do any radiation. Um We've actually lectured together. He's been, he's on the heavy metal DVD, actually, with me. And, That's right, um, yes. The one that you narrated. So, yeah, he, he doesn't do any radiation on college. Now, he does. He, he practices in his dad's office or was practicing in his dad's office for a while, like two days a week. But uh, a number of years ago, he told me he just couldn't deal with that anymore, and he opened his clinic. And uh, so he was in Coral Gables, Florida, for some time, and now he's uh, full-time in Puerto Rico. Yeah, very cool. Well, I said, you know, when you get that hospital set up, there'll be medical tourism coming to Puerto Rico with the kind of treatments available there, which will be great. Uh, yeah. Well, first story up I wanted to talk to you about, natural news story. It says extreme fatigue, muscle and joint pain, headaches. Could you be suffering from chemical sensitivity? Now, this, this to me also, you know, I, and I mentioned this last hour before you were on, on with us, that when people are stumped, when they have tried everything that they know, even holistically, and they're still struggling, my number one thing is I always come back to mercury, residual mercury or ongoing mercury exposure. And you could do everything right, and you're still dealing with that, and something's going to linger. And now this plays into that larger issue, I believe, of multiple chemical sensitivity. Yeah, it's, uh, again, it's, it's a toxicity issue, and you know, I would go back to... Pretty much every I can't think of anything offhand where the seven toxicities would not apply, and so that's what my my basic ABCs. It's like airway, breathing, circulation of the premise and uh, trauma medicine. Um, my ABCs in my philosophy is the seven toxicities. But multiple chemical sensitivities in some circles of medicine, they still say, well, it's all in your head. You know, it's, it's, it, you're a hypochondriac. It's not a real thing. Of course, more are acknowledging now this is real, but we still see some resistance in the medical field, which is, is sad, but not to be unexpected based on their training. Uh, this recognition, you know, if you go into, for instance, an area where they know of this, they'll say don't wear synthetic perfumes. Obviously, cigarette smoking is a big thing, but that's not surprising. But now the sensitivities to these other things that were considered more subtle and not real in terms of triggering these responses are becoming acknowledged. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a very true statement. So the when you're dealing with me- multiple chemical sensitivities and you deal with heavy metals and you're dealing with all these different toxicities. The heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants, those two are similar to um, the phenomenon of a cockroach. You see one that doesn't mean... If you see one cockroach, you know there's a thousand behind the wall. In other words, the, the presence of one uh, virtually guarantees the existence of others that haven't been elucidated yet. And especially when you talk about, from a cross-population standpoint, if you have metals, you're pretty much guaranteed to have some type of persistent organic pollutant, whether it's causing a detrimental effect in you or not is not the issue, but the fact that you have them or you've been exposed to them, it's going to be there. Or vice versa, if you have a heavy metal, uh, if you have um, persistent organic pollutants, you can pretty much rest assured that you also have a heavy metal toxicity issue because the physiology, the pathways of detoxification are impaired, and if they're impaired, they're not just impaired for one class or the other class. It's usually, you know, it's, it's, it's um, 
crossing over the, um, if you want to call it a boundary between the different toxicities. So, for example, when somebody has um, mercury or let's say metals, again, by guilt by association, you know they're going to end up having persistent organic pollutants. You know they're going to have the third toxicity, which is opportunistic because mercury is an immunosuppressive. Or if they don't have mercury, let's say they have uh, uh, some type of organophosphate exposure, then you know they're, pro- they're going to end up having metal toxicity. We don't know what kind of metals, and you know they're going to end up having immunosuppression, so they're going to end up having an opportunistic component. So those first three are, you know, if you have one, you pretty much, by from a statistical standpoint, you're going to end up having a very high probability of having the other two. Indeed. Now, this this article references a friend, uh, Doris Rapp. You've met Doris over the years, haven't you? Yeah, Doris and I actually uh, were on a tour where I met first met uh, uh, Jim Halver in Malta. In fact, um, Doris met my wife. This when we were engaged uh, back in 2004, 2003. We I traveled to um, Spain together, and Doris had given some lectures at the same conference that I had. That's what I met her. She's something else. I mean, she's a sweet lady, and she's just just put this information out there. One of her books, Our Toxic World, A Wake-Up Call, really kind of spotlighted this issue and you know made a reality as, as an MD to put that out. And uh, the industry data from EPA indicates, what, 1.2 billion pounds of chemicals that potentially can be harmful to humans released into the air and water nationwide just in the year 1998. And, and of course, our agencies, these, these bureaucratic agencies in the federal level, are not protecting the environment nor our health. In fact, they're protecting more often than not the polluters. And so our health becomes that which is needing to be, let's say, grasped by our own hands. No amount of Obamacare or whatever the, the Republicans decide to replace it with is going to save us unless we have the freedom to do the things, Dr. Batar, that you've done and other innovative physicians have done to say, you know what, the problem is toxic world, toxic bodies, and no drug can save us from that. Well, I think that awareness is, is a very big key. The data that you just quoted from Doris's book, I think that's pretty old information now, Robert. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it is. Uh, those, number, yeah, those numbers are much higher now. Yeah, I knew just to think about 1998, that's almost 20 years ago, and that was that level, but it's gone. it's gotten worse since then. And, of course, how many of them have ever been studied for carcinogenicity, mutagenicity, uh, uh, you know, the causing of birth defects, and the more we find out about that. In fact, last hour we covered another story where in 1991 the government revealed that uh, the Tdap shot also contributed to this thing called, oh, microcephaly, that they're trying to blame on the Zika virus spread by mosquitoes. Right, right. It, uh, I just read an article about that, in fact, that they were talking about some new studies that have been approved now for the Zika virus, and they're going to be releasing um, this supposed antidote with uh, mechanical or some type of uh, genetically engineered mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read that, but... I meant to send that to you, and I, I don't know what ended up happening. No, we, that, yeah, we've been covering it. The Zika story has been a hot story since it came out, but we continue to dispute with uh, you know scientific facts, reality, peer-reviewed literature even, and it's just it's it's embarrassing how poor the connection is between the Zika virus and microcephaly. In fact, all the evidence says that it's not the cause, not that it could even be, might be the cause, that it's just happening in so few cases of those with microcephaly in those areas that microcephaly exists, that how would it possibly be the cause? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, it's, again, part of that misnomer and the misinformation and distraction that's created in order to perpetuate an agenda that, you know, is highly suspect at best yeah exactly 
Exactly. So we've got a lot more healing to do on this planet. For the people who are ready, there's advanced medicine with Dr. Bittar when we get together each and every week here and take it to that level. Those of you who don't want to miss a show, and why would you, you can go back hundreds of hours now of archives through medicalrewind.com to listen to what you've missed. Also, of course, additional links in the show notes at robertscottbell.com to Dr. Bittar and more. We got a story about autism and the relationship to genius, and this is more validation for Dr. Batar on what he's been saying about this for years. We'll hit that story next, and a whole lot more on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Version, with Dr. Rashid Batar. After this break, stick around. You want to be here for what we're about to reveal. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Although we've covered autism many times over the years together, Dr. Bittar, every once in a while there's a news story that comes out that causes me to say, you know what, we have to talk about this again. And this one originally came from the New York Post that says there's a link between autism and genius. And I remember it, you'll have to correct my language in this, that you said the, the proclivity or, or predisposition for the manifestation of autism is associated with the same allele, if you will, on the gene for brilliance, for smartness, for intelligence. How did you put it? I, I don't want to mess that up. Well, basically that the, uh, the, the, the definition of autism is nothing more than mercury, it's metals and, and, and chemicals, but it's specifically mercury on board a physiology that has a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete. So there's some pathway that's been disturbed or compromised, and that same pathway appears to exist in the same, the, the allele that defines these detoxification pathways seems to be the same allele where polymorphism has occurred that defines the raw cognitive ability of these individuals. And that's basically why it. There's a, there's a correlation. So, I mean, many of these kids are just extraordinary. And, you know, they kind of talked about in the article that sometimes it's there. It's there always. Uh, I have never seen it not be present there. Um, but it's, the genius is in different types of uh, exhibited in different forms. For example, some may be um, musically inclined, some are artistically inclined, some are mathematically inclined. They're, I mean, there's some of these kids that are just unbelievable what they can do, how they can do it. And uh, it, it's the, the kids that we've reversed that are today in normal school have gone on to college and graduated. They're extraordinary. I mean, they've done, done amazing, amazing, amazing things. Um, I, I've got a, the oldest child that I treated. Uh, he was 15 years old when I started his treatment. He's uh, 25 now. He's got multiple employees now. He still lives at home, but he's got, I think, four employees now. And, uh, you know, his, his whole business was he buys or was buying video games online at eBay and uh, broken things, the things that didn't work came up for a couple bucks, and then he turned around, fixed them, and sold them for $7,500, and he got so busy, he hired a couple people and showed them how to do it, and, you know, he's been very successful. So um, just the the aptitude of some of these kids is quite extraordinary. Yeah, and, you know, your experience is literally, the conclusion you came to was from that, not necessarily reading articles like this that are now coming out, and I find interesting, not surprisingly, of course, in these articles, not one mention of mercury in relation to the autism. They're just kind of going, oh, isn't it interesting that these kids who have autism also seem to be geniuses in some way? Yeah, and that's a sad thing because they're not exploring this. See, one of the things, Robert, 
um, I did at a conference. It was, um, I think it was, I think it was Autism One, not this one that I spoke at uh, last year, but the, the previous time, which was ten years before that. And uh, there were probably, I don't remember, there was probably uh, a thousand people, eleven hundred people in the audience. And I asked this group, and I've asked other parents in other conferences the same type of thing. Um, had everybody stand up. And um, or actually had 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 every, yeah had everybody stand up and had them start sitting down as the questions were asked and if the questions were reflective if there was a positive answer then the parents sat down and so one of the first questions I ask is how does your child play with cars for example do they play with cars like regular kids or and then I would show I demonstrate does the child put the car like on a bed or a table and get down to the level of the wheels and look at the car sideways. And invariably, children that are autistic or have, have, been, have or been poisoned, that's how they play. They never look at the cars on top. They always want to look at the wheels because it's the wheels, the oscillation, the finite yet the, the uh, infinite in one component. So if you look at a circle, it's the ultimate in dichotomy because it's, it's got the infinite, no start, no, no stop, no beginning, no end, and yet it's finite. And so it's continuous. And so when children play with these cars, they're always looking at the wheel or the oscillation of a fan or, you know, it's always the same type of thing. And this was after years and years of observation, I started recognizing there's something weird about this. They're not, they're not playing with cars like regular. They're not look, you know, they're fascinated with that small little circle, whether it's a bottle cap. And, and I'll keep on going through the process and, 98%, 99% 98%, 99% of the people will end up sitting down. There's only one or two parents that are still standing up because everybody else has been able to say, yeah, that's right. My child does play with cars this way. My child is fixated on the oscillation of the fan, if that's what Right. All right, we're up on another break here, Dr. Batar. Uh, we may get further into this. We've got some other stories related to irritable bowel disease, inflammatory bowel disease, as well as the financial burden of cancer. And maybe some things that will transform it in the future. Maybe hearkening back to your friend, Dr. Marcial Vega, as well, uh, where this thing is going. But we'll talk about it because it is Advanced Medicine Monday here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check out the links at robertscottbell.com. We'll take you also to drbatar.com. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. information is so good it requires no expiration date the robert scott bell show for our new listeners uh, when dr batar refers to the different toxicities you may want to plug into his book that it's a requirement if you listen to this show you are required to get it it's the nine steps to keep the doctor away international bestseller and it goes through so much it's uh, you know uh, every time you read it you'll get something new from it but it includes that kind of information so you really have a roadmap to understand what has happened to you or your children and, and, and a way out, which is extraordinary and it's so necessary to do. That's why we talked about autism and kids and different things like that. Uh, but as we, uh, as parents, Dr. Batar, watch our kids grow older, hopefully they grow healthier despite the environment because of what we know. Well, that's the thing that... Uh our purpose as parents is always to find what's most beneficial for our children and for our progeny, our grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. And 
So you're right. Even despite what we know, hopefully they'll, or lack of what we know, they will continue to evolve beyond us and be improvement upon us. And that's what it's all about, leaving the planet in a better place than when we found it. Yeah, I had yesterday on, on Rachel Parent. She's a, a 11th grader. I think she's 17 now, but at 11, she wrote a paper about genetically engineered foods, and uh, it was so stunning. It, she ended up in, in broadcast media taking on the big bad guys of biotech. In fact, she just went to St. Louis for the annual shareholders meeting in Monsanto by proxy, and she got to ask a very pointed question of the CEO of Monsanto, Hugh Grant, and he did not answer it. He was very evasive because it was so pointed you know basically if you guys are so proud of what you're producing why don't you want it labeled why do you hide it and everything and he's like oh he wouldn't touch that one Mm. how did she get it to the meeting well she got a a proxy of another shareholder so she was able to represent as a share as if she was actually a shareholder to uh question at their annual event and you know think about that a 17 year old taking on the CEO and with a very intelligent question, and he tried to speak down to her because she was just a kid, and it was just so obvious. But there are bright lights like that, that fortunately, because their parents, like hers, understood the danger of these things, that they weren't corrupted from the, the word go, and they had that light never, never turned off. And they're really here to transform it, to take what we're doing to a whole other level, I believe. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. That's pretty so, impressive. Yeah. Yeah, really. So uh, I think we're going to see here, Ty and I will see her up in Toronto at the Total Health Conference uh, coming up in uh, April, yeah, April 8th, 9th, and 10th, which will be great. And by the way, I'll be lecturing on healing the gut up there. It's one of my favorite topics, as you know. And there's another story here about suffering from inflammatory bowel disease, and it's in the show notes. Uh, you can check it out there. A healthy diet. This is a borderline moment of duh, but they never define it really when the mainstream media writes about it. They say a healthy diet may help ease your pain. And, uh, you know, it's true, of course, lowering stress will help you, too. But if you still have residual mercury in your system, you may wonder why those symptoms linger even after you do a lot of good things. Exactly. That's true. And so there are so many things that can contribute to that, Robert. Um, um, I figured you got an angle on this, right, because that's that's an open-ended question. Well, yeah, in part, well, somebody called me earlier today and is doing a lot of good things because he's suffering from GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. A lot of it's related to stress, some of the diet helped helped him clean up a lot of that, but there's some things that still linger. But he also has mercury fillings not removed yet. And so every time he eats and chews and breathes, I mean, there's going to be an ongoing impact, and mercury is one of those things so pervasive, even at minute levels, that can trigger and aggravate epithelial tissue, alter the way your body interacts and produces normal chemicals, things. So that's why I keep coming back to that. Yeah, actually, you know, this conference that, I was at, that I'm at right now, it, it kind of goes into a, a little bit of a different array, but it's talking about resonance. And it's talking about the discovery in, in the mid-1980s and then more discoveries in 2004 that showed the... Uh, neurites, which is you know nerve cells found inside the heart tissue, forty thousand neurites found within the heart tissue, and and the evidence uh, that's been published now showing how the heart has an independent brain, and so people, you know, we talk about thinking with our brain and thinking with our heart, but mm-hmm. there's, trans- there's, there's stories about transplants where patients have had a bad heart transplants, and 
they've never eaten a certain type of food. Now they have a certain craving for a specific type of food, and that was a food that the donor had always liked, like, you know, um, uh, chicken nuggets and uh, green peppers and that type of stuff. In fact, up until one of the, one of the most well-known cases where a child who had a heart transplant was having these vivid memories um, and nightmares, and they finally sent her to a psychiatrist thinking that she was having, you know, some, she had some kind of a delusional disorder, and mm-hmm. the psychiatrist, being astute enough, picked up that they were saying, there's something else going on. These memories are too vivid. And they brought in uh, law enforcement, and they were able to find that there was a girl that had been murdered. And this girl was reliving the exact components of what had happened. And the heart that she had been donated, that she got, came from the girl that had been murdered by this particular person. And they arrested him, and he ended up admitting that he'd murdered uh, this, this, this girl. So the point being that the heart has its own memory. And, and how does a heart actually start? beating when you take it from one body and put it in another body. And so this whole component, we were talking about enhancing the the function of the heart and making it come into coherence with the brain and then allowing other aspects of healing to start to occur. And it, it, it was quite fascinating. It was four days, and it was very, very deep and um, very, very worth the time. Now I understand where you're using that word resonance from because, you know, I've talked about this uh, it related to transplant, you talk about the the memories that seemingly the cells hold on to from the previous body it was into, and part of the rejection is not a chemical thing necessarily. In other words, your immune system may reject those organs, so they put you on permanent immunosuppressive therapy. If they could find a way to erase or neutralize those previous memories, and and then there would be a full acceptance in terms of the concept of a stem cell versus an adult differentiated cell, uh, we could eliminate potentially the use or the need for the use of these immunosuppressant drugs. Well, that's true, too. That's, uh, that's uh, going on a different path from what this conference was about. But, yes, you're absolutely right. It, that's theoretically possible, even though you know, there is a physiological uh, tissue typing issue where if there's not a mess, then you're going to have just the inherent... Um, biochemical processes that kick in to reject mm-hmm. um and and it but but is that possible i think anything is possible i think that we are truly in uh, no man's land when it comes to the what the capacity of the human body is and you know we took this into uh different areas we brought this into some of the teachings and um that go back to the to the aramaic and uh sanskrit you know the the, the writings in these languages ancient writings and and how many of the religious beliefs today, how many of them have been um, minimized and certain things have been taken away, but the ancient texts, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, actually revealed other components, and it was bringing back this the ancient traditions talking about the connection between the heart and the brain and how we need to embrace that and, and further it rather than repress it and stagnate it, because a lot of healing has to do with that coherence between the heart and the brain. And um, so it, it went into many different areas, but it was a very fascinating conference. One of one of the best ones I've been to in a long time. So oh, I, wish, I wish I could have been there with you. I like it, the the subject matter absolutely. I had a great interview with a, a chiropractor from Australia. He's coming to the the Cal Jam this weekend. Simon Floriani on Friday, and he's going to be lecturing on the thymus gland of all things because. Uh, I did not know this, but the thymus gland is ev- evidently the size of the heart when you're born. It's the same size as mm-hmm. the heart of an infant. And yep. he, in studies of the aboriginals in Australia, they find that the thymus seems to be much larger, much more developed, or something along those lines. And 
and they suspect that this may have something to do with uh, uh, empathic ability to communicate across distances without language necessarily, that the thymus has something to do with telepathic ability. It's just fascinating. Again, the things we don't know that we're in the dark about because science has become so molecular and reductionist that it discounts some of these concepts that we're now try, trying and, and in some ways finding and revealing links to. Yeah, that's a very true statement, Robert. There's so many things that have uh, been lost or things that have um, become um, hidden from us because, you know, either either decades or, or longer, those th- things were taken out of the um, circulation. So like when Ty talks about the flexor report, you know, that's only going back 100 years. But then you start going back to things that were changed 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, sometimes even longer. And we start talking about recorded civilization, how recorded civilization goes 5,000 years, yet there's uh, evidence and, and es- there's excavations of archaeological sites that are already dated 10,000, 15,000 years. So, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what, what the heck happened. I mean, how, how is this possible? Because there wasn't supposed to be mm. any, um, any of this stuff uh, around before. And you look at some of the um, ancient Indian text and they talk about the uh i can't even remember the name of the text but they talked about it today um but the, you know the the stories are about they describe this this weapon and how so many people died like well in motion in their their five thousand ten thousand years actually it's more than that but it's evidence of uh, nuclear weaponry that was available but you know not in this time but not in modern times in fact oppenheimer was quoted as saying when they said how does it feel to have um discharged the first atomic bomb and he said, not the first atomic bomb, the first atomic bomb in modern times. Wow. And, and scientists don't want to talk about that particular quote, but Oppenheimer was quoted. I mean, it's a you know, matter of public record that he, he made that quote. They knew. They so, knew. You're, yeah, you're right. Exactly. It, and on the subject of GI health also, I mean, just the discovery of the microbiome and the gut-brain connection in the second brain, the innervation within the nervous system, uh, that there is another brain, like you said, the brain in the heart, the brain in the gut. Again, these are new discoveries, yet somebody knew a long time ago. Right. Actually, the the brain in the gut, that's been around for quite some time. It may not have been uh, embraced by modern medicine, but, I, I mean, I remember them talking about the greatest, the second greatest distribution of nerve cells are in the mesenteric plexus. But in the heart, I'd never heard about that. But now there's a you know, field of neurocardiology, uh, uh, or, or and they're talking about the the neuroplasticity of the heart, and so it's a complete new study, a division of study, uh, a whole new branch of medicine, and um, it's not, of course, being taught in medical school per se, but the area is very hot from research perspective. Well, that's what keeps uh, us young, I think, uh, recognizing there's so much more to learn, and it's exciting to learn these new things, and it's ex- even more exciting to communicate them with you each week here as we do some advanced medicine together. Remember, medicalrewind.com, if you haven't bookmarked that, to catch up on hundreds of hours of advanced medicine with Dr. Bittar here. Uh, we've got a few more stories that we'll try to squeeze in before the end of the show today, including EM field dangers from cell phones. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. 
cover a lot of the things that, uh, well, cause problems. Let's just say it. Uh, it's all aspects of health, including your physical health. One of those is a story about microwave radiation from cell phones. And, uh, you know, we've discussed this over time. Uh, it almost borderline moment of does, especially after covering the story of, of radiation in, in oatmeal, uh, for instance, last hour. But here's a story that would be a moment of dub, but I don't want to make any light of this, Dr. Batar. It says the financial burden of cancer can harm quality of life. It's like, really? I mean, the people who are struggling with uh, cancer also struggling with economic realities. Obviously, that's not a big help to them. The question is, is there a vision for the future that doesn't involve government-centered, mandated participation in insurance schemes to cover monopoly medicine which, of course, in cancer therapy means chemotherapy, radiation, or surgery, and nothing else. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that was not the gist of that article. I think it was just it was a moment of uh, pretty much you could substitute that in for any type of health crisis um, is going to affect the um, you know the underlying stressors that are contributing to the person's problems. So, uh, not just in cancer, you're going to see that with any type of chronic disease or any type of trauma. Um, but yes, cancer definitely, and then of course the component of it too, where the popular stance, the media's message, you know, it's inevitable, we're all going to die, but nobody talks about that part of it. They just say, oh, you've got cancer, and they make it into this horrendous thing, even worse than it really is, because we're all going to die. And the thing with cancer is they just make the person uh, feel that if you don't do chemo and radiation, you're going to die within minutes or within hours, which is just not the truth. And so that additional stress, so now you've got the stress of having to deal with the treatments, and then you've got the financial stress of having to pay for the treatments, and then you've got the emotional psychological stress of having to deal with uh, an issue that everybody has made into uh, the most catastrophic thing that possibly can be, whereas in fact that that catastrophe is really from getting the treatment where statistically more people will die from, you know, cachexia is 42% cancer, as um, Patrick Cohen talks about in his book, Beating Cancer and Nutrition. But the people remaining, 58%, some people say it's actually the treatment, the chemo and the radiation that kills people. Yes. We have a friend, uh, a dear friend of my wife's, who's been diagnosed. Well, they're not sure if it's breast cancer, but a lump in her breast. And I'm telling you, the pressure that you just described to, to do something immediately, to not take a deep breath, to run and get this test, let's do a needle biopsy. We've got immediately. You know, I mean, oh my gosh, no exaggeration. And this yeah, sweet woman is just in a absolute panic. And you know, the best we can do is try to, with from what we know, to calm her down, take a deep breath. Let's talk about it. Let's look at the overview. But the medical profession, the oncologists, they're just playing a full court press on her. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's it should be um, outlawed. Uh, to, to put somebody in the mix that much duress. I mean, it's, I don't know whether getting cancer is as bad as being told that you have cancer and all the associated garbage and misinformation that's fed into a person's brain. Because I think it'd be more uh, humane to just shoot them in the head than to feed all this crap into their brain, which, which makes them feel that they have no control, they have no to get their own outcome, that they must do this or, I mean, the, the patients getting registered letters by their oncologist and being told that if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you know, Rosie, our mutual friend, we've talked about this before, yes. Rosie came to me this month, it's 15 years, her anniversary of us and her, and she had gotten a letter from her surgeon 
and her oncologist registered letter delivered by the sheriff's uh, deputies saying that she would be dead in six months if she continued this quackery. And, uh, and of course, you know, she continued coming to us for treatment, and she's 15 years out now. But the, the agony that she felt, the, the mental um, abuse that she took, I mean, she, she said she felt like she had been uh, abused. Yes, and exactly. That's, that's, yeah. So Can you imagine if a, a naturopath or a chiropractor did that to a patient population? They'd be in jail. They'd be in jail. Be in You're jail. right, exactly. But these people have licenses to kill you, and if not with their drugs, with the fear of what they say cancer is, which we know it is not what they say. Listen, we're about out of time, Dr. Batar, but always a great discussion, taking it deep and taking it to that advanced medicine place where we like to go. That's where we like to be, Robert. All right, well, looking forward to the next one already. Those of you who have a lot of catching up to do, remember, Advanced Medicine, you can hear it at medicalrewind.com any time of the day or night. Of course, we have links as well in the show notes at robertscottbell.com to all of the shows that we do two hours a day, six days a week. Thanks, Dr. Batar. Tell them what they need to know. The power to heal is yours. Yes, it is. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.